0: Yeah.
1: And greetings. Happy Thursday. Thanks for tuning in here today on the Steve Day Show, powered by CRTV, here on Westwood One, available via iTunes and Stitcher. And if you've already subscribed, thank you so much. If you haven't yet, please consider hitting that subscribe button. Really, the more of you that do that, the more... We have the possibility of growing this podcast and reaching even more people just like you. And if you've left us a positive review, comment. We greatly appreciate that. If you've got some time in your schedule today, though, and have yet to do so, we would appreciate it if you would join those ranks. Because, again, those are the things that help us to get the word out. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. We just wrapped up our show for CRTV, and Todd and Aaron are here with me. So, gentlemen, let's give the audience a preview of what is to come. Your thoughts, Todd? Uh,
2: I was struck by um, our guest, Chris Pandolfo's impassioned uh, plea to um, grow up and be serious. Uh, You know, coming from a millennial, um, who, and he was talking about Ronald Reagan and, you know, how old was – when Chris was – uh, born and I mean Ronald I mean, Reagan Reagan left office in yeah, January Reagan, of 89 Reagan so we just like 30 around, years away yeah. from that now yeah Reagan was you know wandering around on a, a horse in his retirement to, right um, but you know it's it, and he it, died in 2004
1: Todd yeah I know I mean, that's almost 15 years
2: ago yeah. now yeah so it's uh, it, it's refreshing because I vacillate from hour to hour day to day between just utter abject cynicism and that same level of, you know, you have to stand a post. You, you've you got to be the ones that uh, your, your kids and your grandkids are thanking for not giving up on this thing. Um, but boy, man, it, it is challenging. You just, there's no, there's no footholds for reality. There's just no grownups anymore. So that hope, it seems like there's, it's nothing short of believing in a miracle. And quite frankly, that's where our faith comes in. That's always been good enough and uh, Chris was edifying in that way today, Aaron.
0: Yeah, our uh, guest today, uh, Scott Husing, Major Scott Husing, uh, sharing stories of uh, heroism and bravery. Uh, that was also inspiring to hear um, today as well. Especially uh, those those stories, I think we can probably never get enough of those because we need a lot of that right now in um, in our in our culture in our day and time. And it was uh, it was good to hear from Major Husing.
1: Well, if you've not yet subscribed to CRTV, check it out today, crtv.com. If you use my name, promo code DACE, my name's not promo code. That's just the promo code is my name. Uh, if you use my name as the promo code DACE, that would be a weird name. What's your name, kid? Promo code. That's a weird name. If you, if you use my name as a promo code, type in DACE where it says promo code. Is everyone confused yet?
0: <laughs> my name is promo code, middle name, cash money, last name. <laughs>
1: Let's try this again. If you're not yet a subscriber to CRTV, promo code DACE will get you a discounted subscription. When you go to the website, CRTV.com, that won't just give you access to our program, but all of the programming we have here at CRTV as well. CRTV.com, promo code DACE, and yes, we do have monthly subscription options as well. So today is Theology Thursday. We're going to talk about the theology of self-defense here. Because that's a topic, obviously, that is very germane and and very much on the minds of many Americans at the moment in light of recent events. I want to begin, though, with this email. Now, this is from um, Bill C. My neighbor is the father of the slain hero football coach of the Stoneman Douglas Massacre. While listening to him speak about how he's holding up, I was struck by something he said. He said that he wanted the school resource officer, Scott Peterson, to know that he doesn't want four minutes to define his 30-year career. He said that if he needs forgiveness, it is there. In our righteous indignation at the cowardice and nonfeasance displayed in that horrible incident and our demand for resignations, which is righteous because sin has consequences, we should not forget to emphasize the call to repentance and be willing to extend forgiveness if and when repentance happens. See, please call for that deputy to repent of his sins, apologize publicly for his failures, and strive for the fruit of repentance, whatever that may look like in this case, and then ask your audience to be willing to forgive him if he heeds that call. I think that is a very uh, eloquent and fitting request. And one way to show that your repentance is sincere. In this case for Mr. Peterson, I think would be to resign. Own up. Resign. Accept the consequences for your actions.
0: And he he has resigned, but he did not he has not really owned up.
1: Oh, he did resign. My yeah. bad. Thank you for correcting me on that. Okay. So, um what was the point of resigning then and not accepting the consequences
2: for your actions?
0: Because he was going to be pa- placed on leave.
2: Oh, so it's a financial arrangement. Yeah. Oh, he's actively defending yeah. his actions. So
1: then he wants us to believe he resigned unfairly. What is he, Mark Hollis, the athletic director at Michigan State? I didn't do anything wrong. I'm just going to abruptly leave in front of this ESPN Outside the Lines report. That implicates me, but I'm innocent and everything. That's, I'm resigning for that's, nothing?
0: That's essentially, yeah, and Scott Israel said as much, uh, basically, that he had had enough um, number of years built up to where he could actually resign.
1: Well, let me say this, though. Retire. Bill brings up a couple of points that do still matter. Number one, forgiveness is as much about us as it is about the other party. and. To allow your disgust and disappointment in Peterson's actions to get you to the point because I've also read stories about him receiving death threats and things of that nature I uh, know no that that's that's on you man and and that's where you just forgiveness removes the bitterness out of your heart so you don't become like that which has already trespassed against you number one and the other reason you forgive is because you have been forgiven However, forgiveness is not a removal of consequences, only condemnation. Those are two totally different things. There are consequences for your actions. And and I don't believe, and I'm I'm doubting anybody listening to the sound of my voice right now believes, what amounts to a paid early retirement is not evidence of consequences or a repentance. Would we all agree on that? I agree. Okay. So... We forgive pretty much unconditionally, but we don't forget and remove consequences unconditionally. That is purely conditional. And that requires the initiation of the offender, not the offendee. Are we agreed on that? Yes. Yes. So I, I wanted to share that before we had this conversation. I wanted to share that email from Bill. Because I, I, I want us to have a serious conversation about this, even though I'm suspecting some of the arguments, how we're going to do this, is Todd and Aaron are going to throw some arguments at me that they have heard against um, a Judeo-Christian, why, why do people with a Judeo-Christian worldview believe in gun ownership, self-defense, things of that nature? I'm guessing I'm not going to believe or find some of the things you guys are going to throw at me as serious intellectual argumentation, but emotional But I I want us to, as best we can, though, to treat these arguments seriously and have a serious conversation about them, even if they may in and of themselves be red herrings, uh, false premises, etc. All right? So we're going to do our best to be adults with the least amount of snark about this conversation. Who wants to go first?
2: Can I go first, Aaron? Sure. Because I've I've faced this one uh, dead on, and we've talked about it before. And it really is the alpha and the omega of all these questions. I bet every other question is going to be uh, intimately related to the answer you give on this. Steve.
1: I, I Don't, don't tell me. I think I know what you're going to say. My
2: most earnest voice. Look in my eyes, Steve. Look I don't in, think I can. Look in my eyes. I'm going to
1: have to look away because I promise to be serious about yeah.
2: this. Well, uh, but this is, I, I'm setting the tone because the level of sanctimony that always comes with this question is, is deep. But, it. okay, serious. You, you, I'm sorry. I didn't even listen to you the first time. I like laughed it off. Serious, Steve. Would Jesus have owned a gun? I, I have, I have seen this one myself.
1: Um, a little Christology here. Uh, Jesus is God, as Paul writes. I believe is it uh, Colossians is really the full fledged Christology of the New Testament. John alludes to it, the apostle John in the gospels, when he says in the beginning was the word and the word was god and the word became flesh. Paul further, pun intended, fleshes that out in bits and pieces throughout the New Testament, but really brings the the point home in Colossians, <clears throat> where we get our really first systematic developed Christology, I think, in the scriptures.
0: He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. There By him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. thrones and dominions, rulers and authorities, all things were created through him and for him.
1: Amen. And so, when you have that kind of power, guess what you don't need? A gun. You don't need to defend yourself. You are, in and of yourself, omniscient, omnipresent, all-powerful. You are, as Jesus declares himself, and I think it's Revelation 2 or Revelation 3, the ruler of God's creation. When you have such power, power over the grave, you've beaten the last enemy. You are not threatened by the things we mere mortals are. And I... I've tried, when I've gotten this question... And I know you've gotten it before because you've thrown it. You and I have talked about this before. I'm trying to figure what is the serious point someone is making when they when they point this out? Because to me, the question seems pointless. Why would God doesn't need a gun? I mean, he's he's God. Who threatens God? What 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 enemy stands against God? Answer: None. So what what defense does he need? He is he is in and of himself. If he's the alpha and the omega, that means he's also the offense and the yeah. defense in and of himself. So uh, what would be the unless you don't believe in the divinity of Jesus. Yes. Okay, if yep. if, if you have then if that's the case, you have an, you're, you're you're not arguing with me about Jesus Christ. You're arguing with me about a Jesus of your own imagination yep. or your own false religion. Yep. Okay, so if, if, if you have Jesus, if this is a, a question of Jesus as some sort of hippie shaman from the first century tiptoeing through the tulips of Galilee while dispensing, you know, platitudes and sentiments uh, that just sort of make you feel all up with people, that's your Jesus. That's not the Jesus. Jesus Christ is all powerful. The grave couldn't hold him. We're to commemorate that again here in a few weeks. All right? So the question either shows, A, you haven't really thought through who Jesus Christ really is, and or B, you don't really know who Jesus Christ really is, or C, you have invented a Jesus of your own imagination. Does that answer it? Yeah.
0: As, as with a lot of these, if I can add some parenthetical, a, a lot of arguments that sound really hard to, to, to grapple with on the exterior and the first time you hear with are usually almost always a result of a faulty prepos- uh, presupposition that the opponent is bringing to the table. Uh, when we're arguing about things like, God, uh, never let your opponent... Um, i get to define who or what god is or what uh, his power is and that's that's uh that's the at the heart of that argument is a faulty presupposition about who jesus is and what god can do all right here's uh here's another one for you if you're ready to move on if you have to take somebody's life in self-defense and are willing to do so but you haven't shared the gospel with them aren't you playing god by sentencing them to hell
1: No, the question presumes that I can play God, that their salvation is my responsibility. That they've they've had no moment up until that moment to ever consider the deeper meaning or questions of the universe. Pardon me, Paul. Sorry about that. We'll take that out, right? I don't know what's going on with my voice today. I think it's because of whatever, you know, you've airborne passed on to me what you had yesterday. Okay. You know, Paul writes that um, we are without excuse. The heavens declare the glory of God. We, since, since the beginning of time, we have, we have sought to worship things bigger and larger than ourselves. Why? Because instinctively in our hearts, we know there is something bigger and larger than ourselves. The odds the odds that someone who would threaten your life has never, ever been asked or posited or themselves questioned the nature of God and his son, Jesus Christ, throughout his entire moment, up until that moment that he threatens you, are far more infinitesimal than the odds of someone threatening your life. It's not even going to be close. So the question in and of itself presumes that um, you can play God. You cannot. I mean, the, the reason we have God gave us a right to self-defense is not because we can play God, but because we can't. Because we are, we're, we, we are defenseless unless we are able and given an ability to defend ourselves. So I think the premise of that question is flawed. Now, I don't I would not refute the possibility that God could say to you at that moment. Are you willing to are you willing to lay down your life for this person? And put the gospel ahead of your own self-defense. Do I think there are extraordinary circumstances like that where God has said that at times in history? Well, sure. It's why one of the reasons why we had martyrs. Let me give you an example of that. Jesus lay down his life for us rather than call down an army of heavenly hosts to wreak havoc upon those falsely accusing, imprisoning him, and torturing him. But, but those, are, I, I, those are so rare and extreme circumstances that I think they, would, they require supernatural acts of God's sovereignty. Otherwise, your the, and someone else's salvation is not your responsibility. So the, I think the question is flawed.
0: Todd?
2: This one uh, actually, I think, <clears throat> is a compelling approach from those frustrated with uh, Christian gun owners. You've seen... Pictures, memes uh, sent out with uh, uh, gun owners off—you know, wearing perhaps wearing an NRA T-shirt—and in one hand they're holding a gun, and in the other hand they're holding their Bible. And the response is: Are you telling me that you put scripture and the Second Amendment and/or your Bible and your gun on equal footing? <clears throat> and again, this is, this is I, not I think, pulled out of thin air. This is some... I mean, gun owners have put this image forward. So it does need to be addressed.
1: I, I think this is a much better challenge than the previous one you asked me. Because I, I think that We have a temptation as American Christians that has really never existed in the history of Christendom before. And and that is to nationalize our faith. When you had the, the Catholic and Protestant wars post-Reformation in the 16th, 17th, 18th centuries in Europe, that wasn't the nationalizing of the faith, that was the faith being nationalized. What do I mean by that? Meaning that this king or this queen, Elizabeth, Protestant, Mary, Catholic, this king or this queen would declare that the nation was officially Catholic or Protestant. So the faith would become nationalized. We have a temptation here as American Christians to nationalize our faith. Because our faith is why this country exists in the first place. Whether it's the Catholic Christopher Columbus from the mon- with the charge of the monarchy of Spain, whether it is the Puritans, the Protestant Puritans who jumped on the Mayflower, this is a country that would not exist without Christianity. The debates within Christendom, those European nations and empires pre-existed these post-Reformation debates in Christendom, okay? And that's what I mean by the faith was nationalized as opposed to nationalizing the faith. The pilgrims come here. The first governing document in American history is the Mayflower Compact, and it literally says, for the establishment of the Christian religion, that's the governing document not the church mission statement not the catechism not the creed its governing document is we're founding a colony for the governing for the for the establishment of the christian religion and so when 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 a, when a, when a religious system is the specific foundation of a civilization particularly one for all of its weaknesses warts sins etc but one that has had the, the overall positive proud historical impact that this nation has had as a result of being founded on that faith, the sin we have to guard is Israelite-like pridefulness. And that is, what do I mean by that? That is where the ancient Israelites devolved from believing God chose us and that's why we're special to eventually believing we're special. That's why God chose us. And We are, I think, in a time very reminiscent of the time of Jeremiah, where we are being warned about the future laying before us. But we don't want to listen to it. And we want to punish those that are warning us because we're going to make Israel great again. We're not going to surrender to this fiend Nebuchadnezzar. We don't deserve to be punished. We built God's temple, we have God's law, we're special. Even though we're like hardly ever going to temple and totally ignoring his law. (laughs) Okay. Well, what had happened is they had national they nationalized their faith. When the the nation of Israel was established, the faith was nationalized. How did you define if you were an Israelite? By your faith, not by your birthplace, not by a, a, a social class. Judaism's not a tribe, it's not an ethnicity, it's not a race, it's not a clan, it's a religion. At least it's supposed to be. You followed God's revealed law through Moses. Your honor and fealty and loyalty to that law is what defines you as a Jew. And the ability of the Jews to stay in the land was based off of what? I've said before you, blessing and cursing, life and death. Choose life so you may live in the land. Be Uphold your end of the bargain. Obey me, God says, and I will protect and defend and provide for you. That's the covenant. But eventually it devolves to the time of Jeremiah and the people are like, well, God's just going to protect and provide and defend us because we're just Jews. Jews by what? Well, my mom was a Jew. My dad was a Jew. You know, um, I got, I got um, circumcised on the eighth day. I had a B'mitzvah. Well, okay. So you had a moment. Where's your relationship with your God? Where's your relationship with Jehovah right now? We are facing this same temptation right now. And I think we have to be very careful with this. We absolutely should defend and protect our God given rights. We are citizens. Paul says at the Areopagus in Acts that the God of heaven has decided where everyone will live in for how long. So that means if we are here, God put us here. Put us in a country that gave us unprecedented freedoms and liberties. Which means he probably intends for us to do what? Be good stewards of them. Paul is himself, likewise, a free citizen in the first century, at least as it was defined back then. He had certain habeas corpus rights. He had certain civil liberties. He doesn't, when he is falsely accused or when his liberties are threatened, he doesn't just say, well, I'm a Christian now, so I guess I just give up my rights as a Roman citizen. Quite the contrary. He uses his Roman citizenship to give him more freedom to stand for the gospel. And when he is falsely accused, he says, "Uh, you can't do that to me. I'm a Roman citizen. I invoke my rights. I get a trial. He is a steward of his freedoms. He doesn't just say, "I don't, I, I'm too pious for these. I don't want to get my hands dirty with these." No. But he doesn't use his freedom for freedom's sake or his version of freedom. He uses them for the sake of glorifying God. Now, in his time, rights didn't come from God. At least that's not what they thought. They thought rights came from Caesar, who often declared himself to be God. So absolutely protect and defend your God-given rights to the full extent of the law. But we have to be careful that we don't ultimately put our faith in those rights instead of the God who grants them. This is the trap I think we can fall into. And while I totally understand what the kind of imagery you just asked me about, Todd, I totally understand what it means. I even get the political play on words, right? Obama said we were people bitterly clean to our guns and our Bibles. Correct. Right? Okay. And um, what was the device when when f- in ensuing generations uh, decided to, they no longer wanted to, to live uh, or when ensuing governments decided that these weren't going to be colonies just established for the Christian religion, but instead for the crown of France, the crown of England, the crown of Spain. You know, what was the device that our founding fathers utilized in order to reassert their God-given rights? Well, it was a gun. <laughs> All right. If they didn't have said guns, what would likely have happened to their God-given rights? Cool story, bro. So I totally get where that's coming from. I'm not even going to go so far as to say we shouldn't use such imagery. I am going to say, though, we need to be careful. I don't care what progressive A or B or C's sensibilities think of that imagery. I don't care. I do care what's going on in the hearts of those of us using that imagery. We have to fight the self-righteous urge to be, of being too prideful in this as a country. And realize that if not for the values this country was founded on, which came from our faith, it would just be another country. Maybe even a great one, maybe a free one, maybe a rich one, but it would not be one worthy of compromising our faith for.
2: Does that answer your question? Yeah, and I thought you'd like that one, and you did. Good job. Okay.
1: We got time for another one?
0: Uh, Yeah, I think so. Uh, This one kind of gets out into the weeds a little bit, but I've heard this before. And it's usually brought up with a specific example. Say somebody breaks into your home in the middle of the night. Okay. And you get your gun and you feel threatened by them, so you shoot them dead. That punishment does not fit the crime. That is not talionic justice. Uh, And nowhere in the Bible does it say that you should use deadly force in self-defense.
1: Nowhere in the Bible does it say you should use deadly force in self-defense. Um, where in the Bible doesn't it say that? Yeah. Uh, where in the Bible does it say don't use crack cocaine? Do you know where it says that? Not familiar with that no, Not familiar with that? Where, where in the Bible does it say um uh, Pick another modern vice. Um, Don't
0: play video games. Yes, yeah. Jesus wouldn't play video games. Jesus
1: wouldn't play video games. I mean, I I hear this stuff from people in our own tribe sometimes. Well, you know, I wouldn't ever say anything out loud, Steve, Jesus wouldn't say. Gosh, I hope that's not true. Because I think there's some things my wife likes hearing from me as her husband that Jesus would not say, if you know what I'm saying, guys. All right? So, I mean, we come up with all kinds of these stupid standards. To justify, reverse engineer, and justify um, our own uh, fleshy wants, desires, ideological, uh, eisegetical aims at the time. Um, what was the penalty in the Mosaic Law for unjustifiably taking a human life?
0: It was Talionic, like I said. Yeah, it was your own. Yeah.
1: So. What would that... You know, we've got this eight and a half pound mass between our uh, temples, right? (laughs) Rest kind of nestling there. What is that? You guys know what that
2: organ's called? The gray matter we're talking about? Yeah, I think it's a brain. Yeah.
1: I I think maybe scientists are now telling us it's 10 to 12 pounds. I don't know, but um, it's a brain. Who would have placed it there? The creator. Which means the implication would be uh, what? Use it? Okay. So if the penalty for unjustifiably taking a life was your own. I don't think we have to, you know, come to theological pretzels or um, contortions here to imply that absolutely you are within your rights to take another life when someone is unfairly, unjustly trying to take your own or a fellow innocent. By that logic, every cop that's ever taken down a pert before they killed anybody else, has um, it has, it has been morally wrong again i think these are arguments or every soldier that has defended you against enemies both foreign and domestic has been morally wrong so i again i think these are arguments that when they are when they are taken out of 140 characters or 280 characters or less and they are fleshed out just one or two layers of circums- circumspection. They, they, they don't stand up to scrutiny. They're emotional.
2: My third question is a, a corollary to this. Let me ask it quickly. Uh, it, while it doesn't say anything about that, uh, what, one of the greatest testimonies you can have as a Christian uh, is martyrdom. Mm-hmm. Why is it not uh, the Christians call to be mowed down, so that their testimony can flourish all the more, no matter what the circumstances. I'm a Christian. I I will uh, suffer that fate. I know I will live forever, and the glory of God will rise all the more because I did not fight back.
1: I don't have an argument against that. I mean that the the, the people that would use that argument would go to the first century christians you were you know not just the apostles but were martyred in droves and in in coliseums and arenas but what did they not have that we have
0: a way to fight back
1: they had had no way to fight back they 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 weren't free citizens these were times of great persecutions they had they had no civil liberties
2: to call upon i think this is when people learn more about the two great uh, 20th century uh, preachers of nonviolence, MLK and Gandhi, mm-hmm. they used that as the best tool at their disposal. But you know what both of those men advocated for actively and vociferously? Gun rights. So and- they didn't have to get beaten over the head with sticks and dogs and fire hoses to make their point. I, th- I think that
1: if, you know what I want to use a recent movie Mel Gibson's Hacksaw Ridge is a tremendous film Good show. I could not more highly recommend it if you haven't seen it yet and Andrew Garfield plays a devout Christian man whose particular tradition of Christianity preaches pacifism nonviolence and yet he serves with honor and distinction in the cause of the war World War II what he sues, what he wants is to serve. He believes the cause that, our, that the allies are engaged in against the, the, the Axis enemies is a justified cause. Worthy of him willing to risk his life. He does not ask to be excused from hostilities. Instead, he volunteers to go in without a weapon. And he's not saying there's a blanket statement that you can't ever, ever fight evil. He's honoring the conviction God has put on his heart. And that's the, that's the witness that he's going to give. And, and whom, by the way, is he risking his life voluntarily for? The people that are out there wearing his uniform taking the lives of evildoers. He's risking his life for them. You see the point that I'm dri- trying to I drive do? home here too. Yes. So I think we have to be careful that we don't conflate individual conviction with uh, blanket uh, biblical revelation. Yep. Um, or your particular denomination's teachings traditions, um, that you may have legitimate historical cause to want to uphold and honor for ensuing centuries and generations, that doesn't mean they're, not, they're, they're bad or they're not virtuous, but it also doesn't mean they're automatically the word of God either, okay? And throughout the history of this world, throughout the history of this world, only one time I can think of has evil truly been defeated without bloodshed. And that was the empty tomb of Jesus Christ, except blood had to be shed by him. He just chose not to shed the blood of those that were doing it to him. So if you have an individual conviction along those lines, God bless you, and love knows no greater man than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friends. But you know what? I think that also applies to men like the, the major that we discussed and talked to today on our television show, him and his fellow Marines who are willing to lay down their lives on, their, on behalf of the, their friends that they never knew, just as Christ did as well. We have to be very careful that we don't impose our individual conscience. As the, as the direct revelation of, the, of God's word upon other people when it's not clearly in alignment with it or clearly in contradiction to it. But it's a matter of individual conscience.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, too, if I can add a little bit more. John Piper, really well-known, well-respected uh, preacher, lived in Minneapolis, and, of course, Minneapolis' nickname for a number of years is a murderapolis, and lives in Minneapolis' his entire adult life. But he, he will tell you, at least I think he still will, um, the, the most recent uh, version of this talk that I heard him give, he, he doesn't own a gun because it's his conviction um, that he, he doesn't want to be placed in a position where he's taking the life of somebody who maybe has not heard the gospel. Uh, that's an individual as you said, conviction, and I'm glad that's probably a good place maybe to stick a, a fork in it too. Um, we talked about legalism at the beginning of the year in the seven deadly worldviews, and it's okay for for you to have your own conviction, but to hold that up as some sort of righteous standard by which you are judged then is incredibly dangerous, and it is uh, it is wrong. Uh, one more quick one. This one shouldn't take very long. If you're pro-life, why are you fine with taking somebody else's life with a firearm?
1: Because I'm pro-life. I like that answer. That's, that's because I'm pro-life. Because I'm, I, I'm, I, as a father, I have a, I have a divine mandate charged to defend those God has placed under my jurisdictional protection, my wife and children. And I would be derelict in that duty and no one in their right mind, except for a child who thinks that, who is being allowed to pretend to be some sort of social justice advocate on cable news, would stand up there and applaud me if I just stood by and allowed an evildoer to end their lives and I didn't attempt to end his first. No one in their right mind would applaud me for that, except for David Hogg who seems to want to uh, excuse Scott Peterson for letting 17 of his classmates die. But he's not an adult either. He's a child being used as an agate prop enjoying his 15 minutes. No adult would say, you did the right thing there, watching your wife and children perish in front of you. No one would do so. This is similar to the argument of um, how can you be pro-life and for the death penalty? Mm-hmm. As if, that uh, is that is that that is seriously one of the most morally vacuous arguments I've ever heard on any issue. Because you are equating the life of an innocent child who has, if you're a Christian, you believe that he is born into sin no matter how adorable he may be, but that, that means he's that means he's born into a state where he's wronged God, not any other human being. Okay? He's yet to sin against another human. And you're saying that this child, therefore, his life is just as valuable as a serial killer whose worldview justifies that
0: a one that's really chaotic
1: no doubt one you don't want in charge of a zoning board let alone a white house okay and that's the same argument that's being made here because you seek to do evil and to do harm to my loved ones who have done nothing wrong to you and it's my job to defend them so I will attempt to defend them against you precisely because I am pro-life and you are not. Final
2: thoughts, Todd. Um, I had a conversation with the same uh, gentleman who questioned me whether Genius, G- Jesus would own a gun. And this was, after the, uh, it was shortly after the movie theater Batman shooting. Um, and I I asked him, uh, point blank, if I'm there with my kids, is it my duty that, to just let them be mowed down? Forget my kids. Is it my duty just the stranger next to me? Uh, and he said, well, of course not. This is the same guy who said, would Jesus own a gun two seconds earlier? Um, your faith does not need to be that of uh, St. Augustine uh, to be able to deal with these questions effectively. Uh, Your faith needs to get people talking to say out loud what they actually believe. And then there's every opportunity for success. As Steve has laid out, uh, with every single question we've asked... Some are almost preposterous on their face, but something there's a there's a sincerity there. Um, there's a more than a grain of truth. there there's a, an actual attempt at uh, biblical discernment, but there's also laced within that uh, bias. And so make sure you get them. Uh, Follow-up questions with questions. Make sure to clarify, and then you don't need to r- write out some grand treatise. Uh, th- the truth uh, is there. Uh, it's not that complicated on this issue or most.
0: Aaron? In Micah 6.8. Um, he has shown you, O mortal man, what is good and what more does the Lord require but to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God, the first of the three that the three things that the Lord has shown us, um, and that is, that He has required of us, that has shown us what is good to do justice. And if you look at any situation like Todd brought up, or like I brought up earlier, somebody breaks into your house and your family's there and you have a gun, is it just? Is it just to just let that person go? So just let somebody go who's mowing down a crowd. Is that justice? If you have a way to stop it, um, I, I think I think that's pretty self-evident. If we're really talking, God has God has given us brains. He's given us wisdom, some more than others, but He's given us brains as well. If we are going to have a conversation like this, it should be about, um each other's uh, personal convictions and when, uh, you know, what wisdom looks like in certain circumstances, not about whether or not the Bible condones self-defense. I think at this point, the answer is clear. I think the question then becomes using wisdom under certain circumstances.
1: Speaking of wisdom, understand we just did an entire podcast of people who don't believe in the one true God don't believe Jesus is the son of the one true God and the Bible is the literal word of the one true God asking us why we don't follow and obey their definitions of what a book a Bible and a Messiah that they reject and don't believe in think you guys realize that yeah, don't let them get away with that it's yeah. kind of everyday Yeah, I mean I, I, I wouldn't presume yeah, I'm not. I'm not much of a fan of Neil deGrasse Tyson's uh, uh, theology. I would not presume to jump on his Twitter account and begin trolling him on astrophysics and molecular biology. Would you? No. No, I'm out of my league, man. That's his life's well, work
2: before he put out that show on uh, public television. I wanted after that. Well, if we're debating first causes, I'll troll them all day long. But if we're
1: debating the actual—not science, but actual science—I got you. I'm not, dude. No way. I'm not tugging on Superman's cape. All right. I'm a hit my weight. You know what I'm saying? Know what league I'm in, and be satisfied. That also plays here. I mean, if if you don't believe God is the one, the God of the Bible is the one true God. If you don't believe that, you don't believe that the Bible is His direct revelation to mankind then why are you telling people who do believe that what it actually says and means why would you think you know more than them talk about playing God talk about being self-righteous does it get more self-righteous than that I, I get to I reject who God is and then get to decide what his word really means does it get any more self-righteous than that a Loaded God Complex, Cock It and Pull It right there, if you know what I'm saying, okay? Still the best song to play on Guitar Hero, by the way. That is still the best song to play on what Guitar song? Hero. What song? Aaron will know. He's a millennial. No?
0: What? Cock?
1: Loaded, cock God, loaded God Complex, Cock It and Pull It.
0: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm leaving you out on Wow. The... You have failed your I just, millennial I just... You test. said... You said... Um, you said uh, Guitar Hero, and I just listened to Through the Fire and Flames for the first time today, and apparently that's one of the best songs to play on guitar hero.
1: Everybody now that's listening is googling that lyric to see what uh, what song that that comes from. I don't from. know what any You don't of have to know. About. You're old. And I, if I didn't, if I didn't play guitar hero for 8 years with my kids, you know, constantly, I would not know like any of the modern music at all. That song I know though. It's a, it's a blast to play on guitar hero. I'm not going to tell you what it is now. I'm going to I'm going to make I'm going to make people look it up do a little bit of work.
0: Through the fire and flame or the one that you mentioned. The one I mentioned. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: All right. Hey, that does it for our podcast here today. Don't forget CRTV.com promo code DACE. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Don't miss it. If you want to get access to CRTV and not just watch our show, but all of the shows as well. Tomorrow, it is Feedback Friday here on the podcast. Until then, John 317.
0: is Steve Dace.
2: I like it, you.